If you have your Bible tonight, turn to 1 Peter 5, verse, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 6. And my title tonight is Fritz. We'll go post this online later, and that's a good time to mention that all of our sermons are online. They're on um, Apple, iTunes. You can go and, and do a podcast and listen to those. You can go on our website and go back and listen to those if you ever miss out on a period of time. You can go back and kind of catch up on what God's saying to the body here at Christian Center Church. And uh, I got a text the other day that said, God is, and there was a blank and a period. And my first thought Sunday morning when I received it was faithful. Lee and I had just been rehearsing and talking about the faithfulness of God and how faithful he's been to me and her and our family and leading us and guiding us and all the things that he's done. But my thought for tonight was another blank, but grace for blank. And I want to talk tonight about the fact that God has a grace for the season and place that you're in. Whether you're in a good place or whether you're in a walking in a difficult place, God has grace. Everybody say grace. For the season that you're walking in through the place that you're in. So let's read our scripture. And I'm going to try to not go too many directions tonight. I'm going to try to keep it very focused because I have a lot on my mind and my heart that I want to share. But I kind of found myself going on off on a few rabbit trails as I was writing this um, this morning and this afternoon. So I'm going to try to stay very focused. But this is my theme. This is the big idea of what we're getting ready to read is that God has grace for us in the place that we're in. Verse 5 in 1 Peter 5. In the, or Yeah, verse 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Father, for these next few moments and minutes throughout this whole entire campus tonight, Father, for our children, may they learn of you and have a great class. For our youth, God, may they... Enjoy their pizza, Lord, and enjoy fellowship with one another, but also learn that you are the bread of life and the water of life tonight. And God, for our sanctuary class here tonight, God, I pray that the word of God will go richly into our hearts and will cause fruit to grow. And God, you would show us how to walk through every season of our lives with grace and faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I was thinking earlier today, of how, and I, it was actually a conversation I had with somebody in the last couple of days, of how important it is to compartmentalize our lives. That's such a big word I can barely say it, Com compartmentalize. So in other words, we have different compartments that we operate in our lives, and we have family. A lot of you are looking out here, and a lot of kids ran upstairs. You may be a grandparent. You may be a parent that's here tonight. And we have different compartments. We have our work life that we walk through, the things that we deal with at work, the struggles, the, the, the problems with our boss or whatever it may be. And, of course, we have church and ministry life that's also added in there. And that doesn't encompass everything that we deal with throughout our lives. But it's really important because what I have watched happen in people's lives is that a difficulty or a problem will arise. And sometimes they're very big problems. Sometimes they're... They're literally what my pastor used to call showstoppers, those show-stopping moments that really take your breath away and it's something major that happens out of the blue. 
perhaps even something as terrible as the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or something like that. And really what it does is it starts a fire that begins to spread. And what happens is I've watched over the years of ministry is that fire begins to spread to every area of a person's life. And I mentioned to this person talking the other day that some people have a problem. Now, I want to say this before I say anything else. All of life is spiritual. There is no, there is no dividing line to say, well, this part of my life is this and that part of my life is God and Christ. Everything that we do is, is unto the Lord. So I want to balance what I'm about to say with the fact that all of life is spiritual. But here's what I've, I've witnessed and noticed in people's lives. If something happens over here, say in their work life, something negative or bad, even if it's something simple during a day, a lot of times we carry those problems home. And those problems begin to affect our relationship with our wife. It'll, it'll uh, affect our relationship with our kids. Or you could ha- be having something going on at home that's difficult and affecting you. Maybe it's a health issue or it's a, it's a marriage between you or a problem in your marriage between you and your spouse. Then you take that and you carry it over into your work life or your church life. So there's this kind of bleeding over that happens because here's what I found the devil does is he knows that if he can start a fire over here in this part of your life and it spreads and infects every other area of your life, he's going to constantly be starting fires in your life. And, and this is a simple illustration, but I, as I was studying today, I kind of thought of it. This door right here is actually a fire door. That's what it's there for, both of these doors. That's why when you shut it from the other side, by code, it has to lock. You can only access it by pushing on this side. If anybody comes down here right now, they can't pull on that and open because that's fire code. But what happens and the reason that you have fire doors is because the fire is supposed to be limited to one area so that you can contain it, are you following me, and control it and put it out. And what I see happen in people's lives is they get so so caught up in what's going on in one area of their life that it begins to infect and affect every area, other area of our life. And what, what Paul is saying, or Peter rather, in this scripture is that when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we humble ourselves and take on and clothe ourselves with humility, it keeps us insulated by grace from the fires that go on on the outside. Are you tracking with me? And tonight I want to talk about the areas that we can have fires and the areas we can put them out. And again, I I don't want to go chasing rabbit trails, but the scripture clearly says this, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So there are some conclusions. I'm starting with my conclusion tonight. Doesn't mean I won't have two and have one at the end, but this is my conclusion as I was reading this the last couple of days. Number one, The effect of a fire in one area of our life is directly affected by our humility. Listen, grace is defined by unmerited favor. So if you evaluate your life in a problem or issue in any one area of life is consuming other areas of your life, not always, but oftentimes those fires are started by our own pride. Are you listening to me tonight? A lot of times if you evaluate and you say, why is this fire going on in this area of my life? I'm telling you, when I have gotten alone with God and I'm having a problem in my family, 
or a problem on my job or a problem somewhere else in my life. And again, to reiterate, all life is spiritual. We as American Christians have done a really poor job of understanding that, that when you walk out of these doors, you don't cease being in communion with God. You don't cease being in fellowship with God. You, you are in every sphere of your life, whether it be as a dad or a mom or a grandparent or me as a pastor or you and your occupation or whatever it is, there are fires that happens. So here, here's the little point that I wanted to make was that grace is the fire extinguisher of my heart to evaluate and put out pride so that I can be clothed with humility because when I see something raging in one part of my life, and I have been able to do this, and I think you have to, especially leading a church and in ministry, is that I'm able to give my attention and focus to God and his people even if I have something really horrible going on in another area of my life. Are you tracking with me? That's called grace. And a lot of times we can evaluate. And have you ever said to yourself, I just don't have a grace for that anymore. Has anybody ever else said that in your life? I just, I just not grace. It, it's happened to me, and God actually helped use that to lead me at one time in my ministry. Because on the mission field, people would, yeah, I just don't know how you can go off to other cultures and eat that stuff that you eat. And look, I've eaten some wild things, y'all. Guinea pigs. Come on. Yeah, down in Ecuador, that's a, that's a delicacy is guinea pig. Hey, I'm not going to break into your house tonight and be feasting on your pets or anything like that. It's not, it's not what I'm talking about. They're actually fairly delicious, I will say that. I'm just, just telling you straight up. But people used to look at us and just say, man, I don't know. But listen, it wasn't, it was grace that was on us to be able to go into other cultures and to do that ministry. Now, what we started to notice towards the end of our time when God was opening a new door for us was that we both said to each other, you know, it's just the grace is kind of lifted. So if you are a believer that, that believes that there will be fires going on, but even in the midst of the fire, God can clothe you with humility and grace in order to walk through those fires to where it doesn't consume everything else in your life. If you've got a fire going on at, at, at your job and something's going on, I want to encourage you tonight, don't bring that fire home and let it, let it ruin the peace of your family. Uh, this is simple tonight, but I'm amazed at, at, at people in the church, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say it plainly, I'm going to say it super plain. I'm amazed at people in the church that have a certain level of maturity in Christ don't understand at some time in your life you're going to be walking through different fires at different times it's called normal christianity here's why because the fire is custom created we were singing about it tonight and we're talking about the warmth and the goosebumps of the holy spirit and that, that's wonderful i love that but the fire is going to do something important in your life when you contain it and evaluate it it's going to burn up pride in you it's going to get in there and it's going to evaluate and shine light. And I'm telling you, most all of the issues in any given person's life in this room, this is what I found out about myself. I won't necessarily put this on you. But the majority of the time I've gone back and I've found a source of pride. Pride is tough. Pride is tough to evaluate in our own lives. I mean, I told you the other day, I'm the most humble person that I know. <laughs> I've said that before. We laugh about it all the time. Moses writes, Moses is the most humble man on the face of the earth. Yeah. Moses wrote that. <laughs> I mean, 
And you all just set this up tonight because I thought of three areas that this affects, that, that fires that happen will affect us, and there's many more areas, but these are the three ones that I wanted to focus on. But they'll affect us, and these fires start, and what happens is then a fire starts over here, and then we drop out of church. Or a fire starts over here, and we drop out of our family's lives because we're so concerned about something over, over here. That's not what God desires. God wants us to have a level of humility and faith, and here's what the Scripture says. God resists the proud. So if there's pride going on, you need to understand God is resisting that. So if you're at a place in your life where you're like, man, it just doesn't seem like things, and it doesn't mean things are going to go 100% hunky-dory all the time. We know that's not life. But if you get, keep running up to a place where it seems like God's favor isn't on this and God isn't really helping in this area, I'm telling you, the first thing that I would bow down and pray and say is, God, is there a source of pride in me? Like my old professor in Bible school said, he said, pride is like bad breath. You're the last one to know that you have it. It is. It, it's, it's so tough to evaluate because, and, and tonight I'm not talking about a form of Christianity that's always just, oh, woe is me. You understand? Uh, nothing ever goes right for me. That's not pride. That's not believing the word of God. Because if you're a child of God, God has a plan and a hope and a future. That's what he does, and he gives grace to the humble. Everybody say grace. I want there to be grace on you to be able to walk through the fires that life presents because I'm telling you that I'm telling you, we all know this, they're, they're, they're coming. We all walk through them. We walk through loss. We walk through transition. We walk through changes. We walk through difficulties. We walk through difficulties in our marriage. And I was even... I thank God for my spouse. Does anybody else just thank God for your spouse? Amen. She's not even in here, so I'm not getting any brownie points for this. But I found myself just complaining the other day. Does anybody just find you just a little complaining starts to come out, and it started to get a little more and louder and more expressive? And she literally looked at me, and she said, I want you to repeat after me. I said, okay. She said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And she went on down the list. This is what you're called. This is what you are. This is how many are thankful for people in our lives that sometimes set us straight? Because I, I look back at that and it wasn't really, it was, it was pride. It was really pride. Of, well, you know, I won't get too deep into that. But let me give you number one tonight so we can move along. Number one, three primary areas that we need grace. Number one, we need grace and to have humility in our families. Everybody say family. So how, how, how do I set humility in my family? You parents of young kids and maybe even you're a grandparent that's helping raise grandkids or whatever it may be. But we know and understand that families are, are guided by three things. They're guided by values, norms, and traditions. Now, the important thing about a family is when you set your values according to God's word, then it creates norms in your family life. And in relation to walking in humility, one of the things that I value in my family is honesty, is humility, is looking at the word of God and saying, hey, God wants us to be team players. This is raising kids. This is, this is humility in our families. So when you set a value... 
your kids are then going to be looking for the norm that the parents live out according to the value that's being presented. Are you tracking with me? We're wondering why we're raising the kids that we're raising because we wear one face in church and we go home and wear something completely different. Oh, is that, is that too blunt for you today? It's the truth. And, and, and me as a pastor could be, in other words, and I've said this before, but it's so true. I don't want my kids to be sitting over there and seeing me up here and saying, who's that guy? Well, none of us ever want that in life, do we? we? We want to walk the walk and talk the talk. So when it comes to humility, here are some things that I've done in the context of my family to set a value of humility. Here's something I've done even as recently as, say, probably a couple months ago. I sat my kids down and I looked at my wife and my kids and I apologized. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry because I was wrong. I was sorry in the way that I said that. I was sorry in the way that I acted. I'm sorry in this thing that I did that I know better to do. Because, listen, our kids don't lose respect based on seeing humility in us. They actually end up gaining respect, and they grow up understanding that, no, my mom and dad aren't perfect, but I can emulate their strengths. Are you tracking with me? I can emulate the good things about them. And I said it the other day, and I tell my kids this regularly, you are not authorized to mimic my weaknesses. <laughs> but you are authorized to mimic my strengths. So the first place that we can look at and find where we can instill humility, because listen, when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, it invites the grace of God. The grace of God is a strength beyond what you have. It's a favor beyond what you're operating in now. It is something tangible that God graces us that we can walk out the everyday fires of life because they come and what happens with people, again, is they let the fire begin to spread until every area of their life is completely consumed. I remember hearing a story one time of a plumber, and I can't remember all the... I went back and tried to find it where I'd had it typed out because I'd heard this story and it so impacted me. So I'm going to probably mess up the details of it, but here's the gist of it. This plumber, he would have a bad day and things wouldn't go right, something wouldn't... They'd fix something that wouldn't be fixed, you have to go back, and just all these things would happen like any of us, just normal everyday things that we deal with. And, and every day when he walked in, he had a tree out front and he would touch that tree and literally say, I'm leaving my problems here at this tree. So he wouldn't walk them through the door and it impact anything. And later on growing up, his kids asked, Dad, when you came home, we never knew you even had any problems. What did he do? He humbled himself and said, there's grace to deal with that tomorrow. Let me go and put myself in the context of my family and make sure they know that I serve a big God that can deal with anything that I'm facing tomorrow. So me as a pastor, when I walk in the door, I leave my problems in the car because I'm not Pastor Jason when I walk through the door. I'm daddy. I'm husband. And so those areas of our life can have the grace of God on them. So simply, we can teach our kids how to be servants. We can teach our kids how to admit mistakes. We can teach our kids how to be team players. Those are all things that I thought of that I'm trying to instill in my kids. But here's the key ingredient to everything I just mentioned. It's humility. It, it, it takes humility to admit to one of your kids, hey, I made a mistake. I hope everybody operates in this. Amen. Number two, is it work? Everybody say work. So 
what does having the grace of God at work look like? How can we humble ourselves at work? Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. We keep humility at work, which invites the grace of God, which insulates us from the fires that are going on so you don't carry them into your home. You don't carry them into new relationships. You don't carry the fire from another church into this one because I'm not having it. Come on, somebody. You burnt that up. You ain't going to burn this up. But it's a very important principle that he's laying out here. Your boss isn't your boss. It says you're working as unto the Lord. Let me ask you a simple question. Would you say what you just said about your boss, about Jesus? And I know what you're thinking. My boss is so far away from Jesus, right? What Paul is saying was not who is right and wrong in any given situation, but here's what Paul is saying. What is your attitude when you're at work? Is it humility? Everybody say humility. Humility insulates you. It gives you favor that you don't normally have because when God sees you humble yourself under his mighty hand, it says he will be the one that exalts you. It's not, it's not humbling yourself and putting yourself under a boss that's ungodly. It's submitting to God in his kingdom and his principles, and you'll see the grace of God operate in your favor. That's all what we all want, amen? So he gives grace to the humble. And the third one, and the one I'm going to spend the next few minutes on, is humility and ministry. Everybody say ministry. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians. And this is the main gist of what I want to talk about is, again, humility in your family, being able to raise your kids as servants, as people who are team players, as people who can have empathy for others. That's something that's modeled at home through humility and, and those type of things. But 1 Corinthians, I want to look at that tonight. And... Uh, and really talk about for just a few minutes of what it really means to be a minister. Everybody say, I am a minister. The reason I'm going to spend the most time here is because everybody under the sound of my voice tonight, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have done, again, such a poor job in the, in the church of drawing lines and dividing people out and saying, you know, you're in ministry and you're just come to church and sit. That's not what this whole thing is ever meant to be about, ever meant to be about that. And the first three chapters of Corinthians, as, as you turn there, they had turned the church into a bit of a cultural hierarchy like they saw in the city. So even people who weren't movers and shakers in Corinth, the city that Paul's writing to, they became big guns in the church because they had spiritual gifts and they had talents and they had these things. So Paul, in the first few chapters of Corinthians, is basically laying out to them that you have all of the kingdom, you have all of God's favor, you have God's grace on your life, you have all these things that God has done for you and is doing for you. And then he comes down here into chapter 4, and here's the picture that we get, God doesn't have three types of servants that are laid out in scripture. In other words, there's not the, there's not the, the slave to master. That's not really the right thing that we look at serving God with. There's not the hireling. That's, he said, that's not a good way to serve him just for the rewards. But here's how he told us to serve him as a son or daughter serves their father. 
that's the correct type of relationship that we have with him. So to recap, everybody here has a ministry that God is calling them to. So with humility and having grace to operate in your family, on your job, and there's other areas for sure, but ministry, family, and your, your work life are three areas that God wants to grace you and favor you in order for you to be promoted and get ahead. Because that's what the, the scripture that we ended with is, is God will lift you up. God will be the one that, that does it. So look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is, it is required in stewards that one should be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Be he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring forth to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So I have several favorite Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible that I get stuck on. I have a favorite Hebrew word for praise, and I have a favorite Hebrew word for the end, which is a word called akari, and I'll teach on that sometime. It was the most impactful message that I've ever heard in my entire life up to this day was uh, the professor, the president of my school, teaching on the Hebrew word akari, and I've never taught it. But I, I probably will at some point because it so impacted me. But my other favorite word in the Bible is this word right here that Paul uses. And it's I'm going to probably not say this correctly because it is a Greek word. But when he talks about this specific word in verse 1 when he says servant, everybody say servant. He's saying hoop aretes. The word he used is one of the only times that it's used in the entire Bible. And Paul is laying out here for us to be humble in our families, our work, and in our church ministries, whatever they may be. The most important element that any of us can have in any of those three areas that will keep you from the fire of difficulty and the fire of different things happening and then spreading out through your life is simply to understand that first and foremost for everybody in this room, you're a minister but you're also a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And literally the word there simply means an under-Roman underneath a ship. Now in this area of Corinth, and again, he sets up the Corinthian church and is basically saying, look, I know you guys are super spiritual. I know everybody speaks in tongues. I know everybody prophesies. I know when you come together, everybody has a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. But then you see other things that he dealt with at the the church in Corinth where they were separating themselves according to economics and that some would have something to eat and others when they came together to do communion meals and love feasts, they would eat everything themselves and not share with other people. You see all those things happening. So Paul comes to to chapter 4 where he is presented to them that everything in God's kingdom, every promise is yes and amen. You have gifts, you have talents, you have a calling, you have gifting, you have all these things. But he kind of stops here and reminds them that they are servants. 
And he goes a step further in using this word that the Corinthian church would have easily identified, very clearly identified, because the place they were in in the known world at the time was like the Panama Canal of the known world at the time. In other words, all the ships that were doing trade all over that whole region had to pass right through there in order to get to where they were going. So when he mentions these under-Roman, these servants, this word hypocrites, when he mentions this, there was an understanding immediately like, wait. I mean, for me, I would have rather he used the word called you are the ecclesia. The reason I would have liked for him to use that is because ecclesia meant the called out ones. Ecclesia would have been the minds, the great minds and the movers and shakers of the city meeting together at the city center in order to solve all the problems and to solve the, the, the city's uh, you know, danger and crime and, and water and all these different things that they had going on. That's where the movers and shakers, but Paul brings them back down to earth a little bit, under, making them understand how awesome that God has created them and instilled all these things in them. Then he comes back and he says, listen, this is what being a true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. As I have been reminding myself a lot lately, you are the servant of all. You are literally an under-Roman. That's where the humility, but Paul kind of inserts here what Peter's talking about of being clothed with humility. You are an under-Roman for Christ. You are at the bottom of the ship making it moved forward. Here's some things about them. They were handcuffed. <laughs> they were put down underneath the, the, hey, here's something that I don't have in my notes, but this is so true, is nobody could see them. They weren't the ones up top. They weren't the ones in the sun. What the church needs in this day and hour isn't more superstars or people strutting on a stage, y'all. We need some under rowers for Christ. We need people that you may not ever see them, but I promise you that God does. And they literally were handcuffed. And if there was a storm, there was only so many lifeboats. And the people that were literally cuffed down below, you say, man, what does this have to do with me? Listen to me. They couldn't jump ship. We are so bad that when something does break out, whether it be in our marriage or our kids' lives or our family, if there's a fire, we're the first ones out the door, whether that be in church or whether it be somewhere else. Listen to me tonight. The principle that Paul's laying out here is that we are the ones that stay with the ship and keep rowing and keep going and keep moving forward. That may be a word for your marriage. That may be a word for your kids. That may be a word for some place that you're at in life right now. Can I tell you the secret? You are... You are in, in. You are with Christ and literally married to Him as a believer. When you are in His boat, it's not going to go down. You will get to your destination, but you have to see yourself as you are. If you are completely sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess where God puts you? He puts you underneath to row the boat. Row, row, row the boat gently down the stream. I didn't want you to finish that. Up wanted to sing that all by myself that's pride right there that's i identify it what a what a contrast in maturity that paul's painting right here corinthian church they did they they were they exploded in growth there was there was people who was the mayor of the city 
with somebody that came out of temple prostitution. And he paints a picture and says, listen, God has called, he's called the mayor as much as he's called the prostitute to minister for him. And he's painting this picture, but they had kind of developed this spiritual hierarchy, so he's reminding them of a few things. Number one, the galley slave rode, rode to the captain's beat. The galley slave rode to the captain's beat. There could be as many as 150 rowers on a ship. Here's the thing. They couldn't get their own rhythm going and get to where their destination was. In other words, and I'm not a music person, they couldn't say, well, I want to go in three times beat, and, well, we want to go in four. Well, let me put it in words you can't understand. I want this side to row on smooth jazz, and I want this side to row on hard rock. Come on, you guys understand the difference there, I hope. What would happen? They would be spinning in circles. Can I tell you, in your work, in your family, and in your ministry, because you are a minister tonight, you may be rowing in circles because you're marching to the beat of the wrong drummer. Jesus is the one that is the captain of your ship. Jesus is the one that's the captain of this church. Jesus is the one that he gets, to, he gets to do the beat and we get to row along with it. And the beautiful thing about this picture of ministry is, is everybody was beneath, everybody was rowing, and everybody was handcuffed, and there was no jumping ship. You know, when Cortez came to the, the South America and he came ashore and he had like seven, seven or 11 ships, 7-Eleven. <laughs> so some of my mate, I made, I passed it on the way, 7-Eleven. Let's just say seven to 11 ships. He had a lot of ships. They unloaded everything, and he told him, he said, burn the ships. Just burn them. Why did he do that? They would have no way to get. In other words, it was ahead or nowhere. And some of you need to understand by Paul using this word, you need to set it in your mind. I'm either going to move ahead in my family, in my work, and in my ministry, or, there, or I'm going to go down with the ship. But can I promise you something? When you're, when you're listening to the beat and the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to go down. You're going to get into a rhythm of life where if there's a fire over here, it's not going to affect you because you have a purpose that is greater than the fire. You have a purpose that's greater than the argument with your spouse. You have a purpose that's greater than your kids going off half crazy. I don't pay any attention to any of that stuff because I have a purpose for my life. Of course it affects me. But do I, does it, do I let it take me out? That's what happens to people. They let, they let these things completely take them out, and that is not what God desires. Get control of that thing, pray about it, hump, find out where God wants you to humble yourself in the situation, and guess what? God is a fantastic firefighter. He is, but you got to row. They were underneath the ship, 150 people. Jesus is our captain, Hebrews 2.10. He calls the shots in our life. Where he is going to go, we must go. We're told to go to the world. We're told to go to our neighbor, and we're told to go to worship, and we're told to go to war against the devil. That's where we're heading. Soldiers in the military don't question orders, do they? They get disciplined. The under rower in a ship didn't question the orders or the beat the captain gave. You and I are not to question the commands of our captain Jesus. We're not. You may not understand it always, but listen, if you'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he will get you from... Point A to point B. Number two, the galley slaves had to row together. Everybody say together. These things were huge. Usually there were about three men to an oar, to one oar. But here's the thing. 
if, if the person on the other end of the oar decided to push instead of pull, what happens? You don't get anywhere. The person on the other end of the road decides to take a coffee break. You don't get anywhere. They had to row together. Number three, they had to trust the captain. Remember, they could not see anything going on above, but they were rowing to the beat of the captain. Way down in the bow, bows of the ship, they had no idea where they were on the seas or what was going on around the ship. The, listen, the slave below had to rely on the captain and his report in order to get to where they were going. Can I tell some of you tonight? You just need to believe the report of God's word. He is a faithful captain. He is not going to lead you astray. He's going to see you through. The captain could see. Do you understand? God can see things that you don't see. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Some of the things at the time that I thought were the worst things to happen in my life ended up being the best things that happened in my life. And at the time, some of the things that were the best things in that moment that I thought were the best ended up being the worst things for me. I'll tell you why. Because it led me to a place of pride. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the... Thank you. Think about this. We are called to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because he's your captain. He's showing you how to row. We must have complete trust in Him, even if we're out on a sea and we don't know which direction we're headed. It's coming to my mind right now. My grandfather, who discipled me, he was a pastor for 43, 44 years. And one of the first meetings that I had with him, he told me this illustration. He said, when you're immature in the Lord, he said, He'll sail you around and keep you close to the shore. What does that mean? He said, there will come a time in spiritual maturity He's going to launch you out. He said, your, your sail will fill with wind. And he said, you'll have no idea where you're going or what God's doing. He said, that's called faith. That's a great way to live. It's scary, but it's a great way to live. Here's another thing. The slave was committed for life. Everybody say committed. Damp, hard benches, weary bones. They, these things were not ergonomically designed and comfortable. There was no lazy boy there in the bottom of the ship. I love my lazy boy, by the way. If the ship hit a storm and started to go down, the slaves weren't the priority. There was no way of escape. Can I tell you, Revelation 2.10 plainly tells us our lives are not our own. That's called commitment. Everybody say commitment. You want to see grace to operate in your life? You want to see humility come into your life? Understand that you are bought with a price tonight. And your life no longer belongs to you. It belongs to him. Here's another one that's good. The the slave received no honor. If they got to port ahead of time, again, the picture I'm painting in our families and our works. Okay, Jason, I understand ministry. That's how we're supposed to operate. We're servants of all. How does this this work at work? If it work, you apply the principles of the kingdom that you're not worried about who gets the credit for something. You're just going to do your job as unto the Lord. Guess what's going to happen to you? Promotion won't come from a boss. It'll come from the hand of God. And listen to me. You will know it's God. Just like the pizza showing up here tonight was not a mistake. No, I'm kidding. That was completely a mistake. You'll know. Those are those instances where you just look and say in your life, and nobody could have, you know what that's generated from? Humbling yourself under God. 
being completely committed and sold out to him, being completely committed to his purposes and his ways. No honor. Paul was simply saying, listen, I know you want to exalt me as a great orator and preacher and somebody who's obviously had tremendous experiences with the Lord. But here's what I want to show you that what this is really about is getting down underneath a dank, dark ship, putting my hands on a row with other believers and rowing this thing forward one step at a time. And this is so out of step with how we do church. Church leaders want to be leaders, not pastors. Listen, galley slaves don't look for attention. They look for the boat to move forward. Amen? And there's so much of that in the church. I'm going to brand my ministry, right? I'm going to post all these things about, you know, all these things. And again, I'm not talking about celebrating what God is doing in something. You hear me? I'm telling you that the real true meaning of ministry is that you're going to find yourself doing things in life, whether it be for your family. Listen, the role that I want to take in my family is the servant of all of them. And when that, that flipped in my mind years ago, that it wasn't about getting my own way, that it wasn't about anything of myself, it was actually about God gave me a wife to serve her and love her and nurture and cherish her. To, to be the person who's going to climb under the ship in my family and pray it to the destination, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Men, that's your role. That's your job. To climb underneath and, and, and work. Listen, you be the first one. And why? Why? Why be the first one to say, you know what, that's a tough job. I'm trying to teach my own son this right now. As he's taken on his first job, he's about three weeks into it. I, just, I, I told him going in, I said, find out everybody else's job. I said, that's not to put your nose up in anything, but if somebody needs help over here and you're available to do it and you get permission to do it, you go over here and, and stack chairs. I'm teaching, what is that? That is a kingdom principle because so much of our world today, what we see going on around us is, is the simple, prideful thought that something is beneath me. In the kingdom, there is nothing beneath any of us care if it's teaching children's church or parking a car or opening that door back there. Whatever it is, there's nothing beneath. That's what Paul's simply trying to say. It's Corinth. They were a wealthy city. They had wealthy, well-to-do shakers and movers in their church. And the Holy Spirit filled them because he's so good and gracious. God sent his Holy Spirit to the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers too. Listen, you're surrounded by as many people that are up-and-out as they are down-and-out every single day. Money doesn't solve problems. It brings problems, church. Come on, somebody. And he filled them with the Holy Spirit, and they were not only movers and shakers in the, in the community, but they were starting to become movers and shakers in the church. And here's what they were doing. They were operating by the principles that the world operates by. And Paul comes to Corinthians chapter 4, and he says, Let me tell you what a servant of Christ is. And he used this word, and everybody that read it, Everybody that heard it preached over and over again, their minds immediately went to a slave chained underneath a, a boat rowing to the beat of a drummer. Boom, 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 boom. There was no glamour. 
there was no pats on the back. The only pat on the back that you may ever get for being a man of God of integrity in your family is to stand before Jesus one day and him say, well done. Nobody else saw the secret stuff, but son, I did. Nobody else saw the tears of praying all night for those kids. I made a post the other day, and it's so true. When you're young, everybody gives you tips on parenting. When you have teenagers and older kids, I can give you tips on praying. Because every time I see that 16-year-old back out the driveway, oh, you guys know what I'm talking about. I said all that. Stand with me tonight. I'll go ahead. I've got several more pages, but you get the gist. Of, of what he's talking about by using this word. It's why it's probably one of my absolute favorite words in the Bible because it paints such a vivid picture that we lose today by just reading through that and saying, oh, I'm a servant. No, when you, listen, when you come and join the kingdom, when you come and join the kingdom of God, you are then expected to begin to operate by kingdom principles in your family, in your work, and and especially, church, in your ministry life. But I'll go back to how I started, and it's this. There will and can be fires that creep up in your family, and the next thing you know, it's over here and it's affecting you at work. And the next thing you know, it's over here and it's affecting you over here in your, in your church life. Can we just say tonight that God wants to put out some fires? Listen, it doesn't mean you're going to walk out of here and everything's necessarily different. What I want you to understand is that if you'll surround it with humility, if you'll humble yourself under God's hand and just say, God, I don't know what I can and should even do about this right here. I don't even know what to pray. Can I tell you, just that act of humility of putting it into God's hands keeps it confined to that area so that you can continue to operate in the areas that God's called you to operate. I'm telling you, I've seen so many times all throughout the years of people that have something happen over here and it affects all the rest of their life. Compartmentalize your life. So that means that if I've got an issue going on at home, I don't let it, I still stand in that pulpit. Are you listening to me? I'd make you cry tonight with some of the things that I've been through in my living room. But I'm right back up there. Make you cry tonight some of the things throughout the years that have happened to me on job sites or even at work. My work is for the last 20 years has been the church and the kingdom. But I don't walk in, treat my kids poorly or do anything differently because I've had a bad day at work. Are you listening? It's humbling yourself. So the key is, the key is humble yourself and God will give you grace, which grace means that you can walk through difficulties in an area of your life and see God do something miraculous. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I I pray tonight that those who are walking through fires, and God, we don't minimize that tonight. We understand that, that the fire comes to try to destroy something, but God, I pray the fire that some are walking in wouldn't destroy anything but pride. 
that our relationship with you would grow and prosper and be fruitful and literally multiply in the difficult darkness that we may be walking. And God, remind us all tonight that if we have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, that didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation coming in the form of a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of the cross, despising its shame. Lord, help us, help us be like Jesus, God. Help us be like him that, Lord, it's not about us, but it's about humbling ourselves under your mighty hand so that, God, you can give grace. Father, I speak grace, grace into the situations and the fires and the difficulty that the people are walking through tonight. God, Father, pour out grace that will change, grace that will strengthen, grace that will show favor. God, in every place and area of our life, God, we cry out tonight for grace, grace in our hearts and in our lives, Father. God, we love you so very much. Father, I pray blessings upon this church at CCC and our guests here tonight from the sanctuary. God, we bless them. We pray that they would be blessed going in and blessed going out, that they would be blessed at their jobs and blessed in their homes, Father. We pray, God, that your face would turn towards them, shine upon them, give them peace, and give them favor, Father, for each and every member. God, we pray and speak health over this body. God, we speak here healing power over anyone who walked in here, God, that just needs a special touch from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to heal, God, and do what only you can do right now in this moment, Father. Lord, we lift up the Maiman family even now. We ask you as a body that you would comfort them, that, God, you would be with them, that you would surround them with your loving hand and your strong arms, and you would scoop each one of them up and hold them close to your heart as we minister to them. May, it, may we be ministers of life and love and hope and joy and peace, Lord. Help us do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence tonight and in your house together as a family. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen.